1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
0: You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social Index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis and they have a look back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data.
1: For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right.
0: One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Brad Wilson, who's the chief marketing officer at LendingTree. Brad joined LendingTree in July of 2017 as Chief Marketing Officer, overseeing LendingTree's brand strategy, marketing operations, and consumer engagement across multiple brands and channels. Today on the show, we talk quite a bit about his background in direct response and how direct response and brand building are not mutually exclusive. We also talk about his philosophy on how to build and coach teams that work for him and work within inside the organization. We cover a lot of other topics across technology, the fragmentation of media, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy this show with Brad Wilson from LendingTree. Well, Brad, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Alan. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for coming to Durham. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, the town's got a lot of character. I was just walking over with Lisa Hughes, uh, your colleague, and it's been a few years since I've been here. It's been... It's a remarkable town. Looks like there's been a lot of growth.
0: Right, right. Let's start off with just talking about your background and where did you start your career and maybe any pivotal twist or, or mentors you've had along the way?
1: Yeah. Chronologically speaking, you know, I think the journey really started at least to, to here after business school back in 2001. So I, I went in kicking and screaming. I say to match.com, you know, at the time, it, it didn't have the, you know, maybe the, the appeal it, it did today. There was certainly right. a stigma to online dating, you know i was very fortunate to get a job managing a lot of the distribution relationships uh, at the time it was aol and msn mm-hmm. you know then it quickly kind of advanced into sort of a broader digital marketing remit you know that was really the beginning of understanding you know what i say is internet economics and, and distribution in the early days and you know really it extended into you know i think one of the constants that's been in my career which has been you know really understanding distribution across the web but also through many changes. I think, you know, we chatted originally there's been a change from what I call kind of the portalization of the web to the Googleization, Now this kind of socialization or mobile era. But also had to deal with a platform and you know, right. supply on one side, you know, maybe males and the other side females, <laughs> or vice versa. It was a marketplace for sure. It was a marketplace and a membership model. Right. right? right. So I think, you know, from there, uh, I spent a, a really good three and a half years, had amazing teachers and mentors through IAC, the parent company at the time. And I think like anybody in Dallas, I stumbled upon Blockbuster, thought I would be one of the heroes that would help transition (laughs) that business. We can go into that in more detail. But essentially, I I was head of marketing for this subscription product for Blockbuster Online. We took it from about a million members to two million members. From there, I happened upon uh, the dieting space and Nutrisystem under a great leader named Mike Hagan. And felt very fortunate enough to build out e-commerce and marketing solutions for that brand and, and also new brands, such as the Benz product and Nutrisystem D for people with diabetic conditions. You know, we took that business from $350 million to, to nearly $800 million. And that ultimately led to, you know, kind of my first CMO seat and a big turnaround situation under private equity for Travelocity, where McKinney obviously has heritage, where the brand or the agency created the roaming gnome. So, you know, I think when you look at that span that's led me up today, now led me up to today as CMO of LendingTree, you know, I've been able to experience the waves of change that I talked about from distribution of eyeballs going on to an online ramp, such as an AOL and MSN, now to really massive amounts of distributed networks on people's own published content on, say, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. And, you know, the other thing I've been really, really fortunate in my career around having great people, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. around me, but I've also been in really small, high-growth businesses, i.e. Match.com you know, set of medium-sized businesses and neutral system and now lending tree with high growth and big massive industry and travel with a slog of a turnaround situation. So I feel really, really fortunate to have those things as part of the, you know, nearly 20 year span. Right. Well, I mean, Match.com in the early days,
0: I mean, I'm equating it to early days, I'm not saying it was old. But yeah, well, <laughs> well, you can say I'm old. That, that is true. I mean, that's, it must have been quite an experience. And then, yep. you know, like you said, then Blockbuster, I don't know what time frame that was. Were they experiencing the challenges and the downturn on the retail side? Certainly. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, for Match, you're right, it was early days. I think I was there from 2001 to 2005. Okay. And so, you know, little known fact, I think at the time- Match.com and a a site called One and Only came together. Mm. One and Only was the largest affiliate network on the web at the time. Mm. The other thing was, if you think back then, where most of the eyeballs were going to Yahoo, Emerson, and AOL, Mm. Match.com, I'd put Ticketmaster up there as another one, which was also another IAC property at the time, were probably the best companies at distribution on the web. So, you know, meaning cutting those deals, providing content, doing unique product experiences, possibly even integrating unique technologies. And I think that those... That uniqueness was really, really certainly worthwhile for me in my education yeah. career. it's funny, I still take parallels from that experience even to what I'm doing today. There's some very interesting parallels with Lending tree, which we can get into later. Blockbuster. Uh, it was an interesting time. I joined uh, 2005. Netflix was right around, I think if I, memory serves three to four million in the online DVD rental space. Yeah, yeah. Walmart was in the space if That's people remember true. yeah, I forgot about it We had about just shy of a million subscribers. Yeah, you know, but look, I mean, I think there were two things we all understood. Number one was retail was or rentaling as mm-hmm. it was called was bleeding. Right. I think at the time it was losing about seven to ten percent footprint per year. Mm-hmm. I think if you ask Netflix back then, and certainly us, we all knew that the subscription model by mail was a short-term plan. Like the idea was, how do you get into the living room of the household? Right. And at some point, you're going to have to invest in either content <laughs> or you're going to have to have really, really heavy inroads with the content providers mm-hmm. to make sure that you could win the living room. You know, it was, it was just a, it was a tumultuous time. I, right. I think at it, it Blockbuster, I think it pretty early on, it was only a two-year stint in that business. I recognized it was going to be a really hard pivot. So for me, the learning <laughs> was, you know, in really entrenched industry with dogma and and expertise, certainly in their case, it was around retail. It's really, really difficult to make that pivot. I mean, the other thing too, is it was a really capitally intensive model with very razor thin margins. And so to sit there and say, if you're gonna get 20 bucks a month out of a consumer and you're only making two or 250, to be able to plow that back, to build out now content, which you have to spend tens of millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, it's a tough bet, and so that's a really separate business. You got to ingest whole new capital, and the, and the company just wasn't at a point where they could really ingest that risk. Well, you've seen a lot, that's for sure, going across all those different companies, and all within the subscription internet business model, if you will. Yeah, to, to a large degree. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I was actually thinking about this last night. Travel's probably been my favorite category. And, you know, I think if you're thinking about careers, you know, you can certainly go deep in one industry and, you know, make a name for doing that. You can also have different experiences that lead you to the next one. And, you know, neither is right or wrong. I was Mm -hmm. sort of pensively thinking, you know, which which is better. (laughs) But I can tell you, it's been really, really interesting now being in financial services. The experiences I've had in really different right. and diverse industries is really helping me shape the, the Go Forward plan for Lending Tree.
0: I like it. Well, let's talk about your role at Lending Tree. Tell me what you've got under your scope today at Lending Tree, and then we can talk a little bit more about what Lending Tree is. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, I mean, broadly speaking, I view my role as to the company's been under just massive, intensive growth over the past five years. You know, I believe uh, f- Fortune has ranked us the number three return on investment company in the past, uh, I believe it's f- three or five years. But broadly speaking, I you know, my job is to maintain that growth and then accelerate. Much of the brand's growth has been developed through uh, very, very effective pull marketing on the digital shelf, Google, mm-hmm. partnerships, CRM, et cetera. Number two, and I think where we're going now is we need to continue that growth on the shelf, but also add purpose and Mm. brand to enter yourself to to new audiences that not only can accelerate what we do, but also make sure that we're pulling in new people based on the audiences in which we want to serve. And then lastly, you know, I just, I view, I take it very seriously. In fact, my job is to lead uh, functionally the people in the organization, as well as, you know, the broader remit in the communities we serve. Mm. So that's broadly how I look at it. Functionally, you know, you've got kind of the traditional stuff a CMO has, which is, you know, certainly digital marketing. I mentioned brand Mm. marketing, Product marketing, because we do, in fact, 16 products across now seven brands right. with the recent acquisition last week. CRM infrastructure to try to make sure that we're developing and delivering right. a great one-to-one or one-to-few experiences I call it. And lastly, a bit in kind of product and UX as well to okay. help serve some of the products and advancements that we're doing for each of those unique products.
0: That's a nice remit to have. Not every CMO has the luxury of having product marketing
1: as well. Yeah, well, I think we have to, right? Right. So I think it's not, you know, back when I was at Match, as one example, it was really one brand, Mm -hmm. one experience. Obviously, now they have a portfolio of brands, Mm -hmm. but LendingTree is a brand unto itself that means something. We also have a CompareCards brand that we've acquired into that represents Mm -hmm. our credit card business. But also even, you know, I take the auto loans business as one example within lending tree. That's a unique shopping and buying experience vis-a-vis, you know, maybe home purchase and home buying. So there's different ways to go to market in which yeah. we have to play with those templates.
0: That's good. Well, so you mentioned some of the things that I've didn't actually know about lending tree. I mean, I've known them as the mortgage rate shopping place yeah. historically, yep. but you, like you just described, you're much more. Can you explain a little bit more about the reach and the, yeah all the different aspects? Of yeah,
1: the I think, well, that that's, it's a great setup to the question because it's interesting. I think most people would have your mindset and that is the true challenge for the next wave, wave of growth for the company. So when you look at, at the brand and, and I often say this to people, you know, unlike travel, where worldwide or parts of globe, you've got forty to sixty percent online shopping penetration and buying, for that matter. The financial services marketplace is, you know, between one and you know, call it nine percent. It's all single digits, mm. and in mortgages, it's it's about four percent, maybe five. And so, LendingTree made its heritage and name around the mortgage shopping process, it was actually in, actually did take on the risk of some of the originations as well. We're no longer in that game. So we're ap- absolutely a market leader in that category. But whereas five years ago, it was, called 95% of the business, it's now less than 50% today. So we've diversified the offering quite nicely along a lot of personal credit and loan products, which really helps in today's environment where you have record low housing inventory levels in a rising rate environment. So we have a whole kind of non-mortgage line of business, if you will, personal loans, student loans, auto loans, credit cards. And we've also extended into, you know, now Deposit Space. We have a brand called DepositAccounts.com. And now, you know, we're, we're really trying to extend the whole portfolio into an intelligence platform around this purpose of making sure that we can simplify your financial decisions for life's meaningful moments through choice education and support. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the platform by which we're gonna try to go out with communications. And simplistically, that could mean a credit score. That's nice, but ultimately, what are you gonna do with that credit score? How can you serve people through, we have a Lending Tree Academy as an example. You can come in and get video content and understand what it means to have a credit score of 680. How simple or how hard is it to buy a home mortgage? What does it mean when you go to the auto dealer and you're trying to get a loan and you're getting an indirect network such as us? So there's a lot of things. Money is complex. And we're just trying to truly simplify those decisions. Got it, got it. One of the things we talked about prior was your history in direct
0: response marketing. Right. And you, you think about brands in the early days, match.com is really about getting those members, right? Performance marketing is the new term for right. that. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got Nutrisystem, which was built, I think, on direct response. I, I could be wrong. But yes. But it seems yeah, like no, it I think very, that's accurate. Much, very much built on direct response. But you're also got a history of advancing the brand as well and the, the equities along with those brands. So how do you think about merging direct response and brand building together, because there's a lot of people in the industry that think those things are diametrically opposed. No, you're
1: you're exactly right. In fact, you you know, before this, Aaron, you and I were talking about agencies and consultancies and the integration of those things. And yeah, you know, look, I I would say my first answer, and if I were succinct, I would say, I don't believe they're mutually exclusive. And I can talk about the instrumentation and how we look at that. I think there's a, there are a couple dynamics here that, you know, I've often said, I think number one, we've raised a whole generation of marketers incorrectly. The internet age and technology has brought this precision instrumentation, if you will, around Mm -hmm. a click. And that's great by nature that, you know, I, I see so many organizations. And in fact, our friends at Google have shared with me that most organizations are still measuring return on investment on one last click. Well, think about that. The number one that doesn't get into the the intellectual alibi response of a customer on why they would choose your brand as distinction over another. And number two, we know people don't make a decision on one event. You know, I take travel as an example. The statistics are going to escape me, but I I believe it was most people searched 15 or 16 travel sites before they made a decision. And there's usually 40 to 50 plus clicks before they made that decision, not to mention the impressions, right? Mm -hmm. So an incredibly flawed dynamic there, but nonetheless, most people's performance, as you mentioned, or jobs are Mm -hmm. on the line and making sure that they're Hitting those return metrics, but most of those clicks come when people are way down the intent funnel, right? Right, so that's number one. So, that there's a whole 15 20 years now, all fashion around that training and that yeah. muscle development, you know. And the other thing is just a dynamic that exists is short term earnings management and the pressure right. for performance, and really those two things go together because now if you're <laughs> driving down, you got to have performance or return today, the only way you can quantify that or have proof points around it is to look at, you know, your Google platform or ad platform of the day. So I I think to break that, it's going to require courageous leadership to invest in -hmm. product purpose or brand. And so now getting specifically to your question, you know, how do I look at that? I typically marry three frameworks. I mean, one is obviously a direct response mechanism, not just on the last click. We try to look at it from a number of of dimensions, Mm -hmm. but there does need to be one source of truth. And often case it is last click or We define or design it as what we call restricted last click. The other thing is there are a lot of studies, not just through agencies, consultancies, but also investment banking around if you can move a brand health metric, you will see commercial impact. Mm -hmm. It may not be in the quarter or month, but over time. I can think of a number of brands that have done this. Priceline most recently last Mm -hmm. year a great mentor of mine, Chris Terrell and at home advisor. I mean, remarkable what they've done with that brand, but they invested in the product and the platform and the brand. Mm-hmm. And it took a couple quarters. And then the third thing is, you know, at the end of the day, the other thing that the performance marketing aspect has done is it's sort of removed the differentiation or distinction of the profile or person. So classical training around segmentation and understanding who your customers are. I won't say it's a lost art, but it's I haven't seen it as much. And so you're valuing one person nearly the same as the other. So we try to look at a third frame around specific audiences. Mm-hmm. The case I use in travel, particularly with Travelocity. And you know, while we were a distant third player to Expedia and Priceline, one of the things we did really effectively on the turnaround is there was two segments out of seven, we believe, that had they were 24% of the audience but 75% of the profitability roughly and we absolutely were taking share in the last year and a half two years which ultimately led to the sale right. into uh, Expedia so a bit long winded but but that's the things i see and that's that's the frames by which we measure it
0: no i mean i think it's an interesting dynamic because i also agree that direct response can be a tactic for brand building. I, you know, if you think about, I think where people get really hung up, especially in the creative sphere is a uh, direct response TV ads that you see, right? With the phone number and URL and yes. But the issue, I was just at a conference recently and was listening to a guy from Purple Mattress hmm. who they put lots of work into YouTube videos. And he was describing, you know, the videos done by an agency that they were working with, with no logo kind of in the Bottom corner, no logo bug, I guess, is what they call it, versus the ones that had the logo and the performance difference in the two, not only for response, but for actually like brand awareness. Interesting. I believe brand interest. Interesting. And, you know, people could remember it was a Goldilocks with the egg drop on the mattress, and not to belabor this, but the, People could remember, without the logo, people could remember Goldilocks, but they couldn't remember the name of the brand. But with the brand bug in the bottom, it was just this subtle oh, interesting that they actually could actually link the brand as well. I Goldilocks. believe it. That's fascinating. So, yeah. yeah, it was it was an interesting case study in that direct response in that context can
1: build brand. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And and conversely, you just mentioned it a little bit, but I think of booking.com. mm mm-hmm. In the U.S. in the travel industry, they were very, very effective their first, call it four or five years at one thing. They were maniacally focused on winning the search game in Google and the digital shelf. They did. They became the largest accommodation site in the U.S. after five, six years. And if you looked at their direct traffic, it was roughly 40 to 50% of what they did after that time. In other words, they built a brand. Wow. Yeah, right? Yeah. So it's fascinating.
0: It is Let's talk a little bit about the evolution of acquisition and direct response marketing, you know, from maybe we can just start with I mean, you've you've been in this space for a while, but maybe the Nutrisystem model to the lending tree model as just to compare and contrast. Where is direct response and acquisition marketing today versus where it
1: maybe was? When you started. Yeah. Well, I mean, first and foremost, the obvious distinction is the contribution margin effectiveness is much less because right. <laughs> you have a lot more people that are right. effective at it. And Not to mention it's, you, you don't have to comment on this, but you've got a duopoly on the internet now. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, it's, it's relatively easy to start businesses. So you that's can, true. if you can publish a page and even if you don't have the supplier inventory, dynamics are so competitive in certain categories that you'll partner with that person and, well, it's great from a volume perspective, it, it certainly drives inflation in the environment and, and even crunches, you know, your margins a bit. So, you know, look, I mean, I think fundamentally that's an outcome, but also what's driving that outcome, you know, certainly what we've seen the last 10 to 15 years is mostly media consumption is just changing. I mean, it's just changing so swiftly. I mean, you, Alan, you probably see it day in and day out. You know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, even you can get away with basically a TV and search portfolio in your mix, you know, now with time shifting, cord cutting, frankly, millennials and and the next generation, not even watching TV, it's it's more video consumption through Mm -hmm. tablet or phone, you know, so much is changing. So I think the formula is you can't just simply have, you know, provided you have a big brand, you have something to say, and you've got meaningful budgets, you can't just develop a TV ad, you can't just sit on the digital shelf, you're going to really have to reshape what it means to have experiences and content, not only for your own assets, but assets that can proliferate out into an influencer network or digital mediums or video mediums where you can share your story. And that's hard because number one, the assets don't necessarily exist from an ad platform perspective. Number two, you have to really get the influencer part (laughs) right with some level of scale or virality. And number three, most people, I don't think we've certainly aren't, there aren't that many experts that are great at storytelling in that type of content. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about TV, you've got right. hundred years of, or roughly there about storytelling on that medium at 15, 30, and 60 seconds. Print is, is also that legacy. Digital now has some time underneath its belt, but this is an all new way of consuming right. content and entertainment. So it's a new muscle that has to be flexed. It is. It is. Oddly enough, at that same conference I was at, it was for media
0: post. I should make a plug for media Post, but it was a <laughs> TV and video summit. It was a little out of my element, but I learned a ton about you know advanced TV, connected TV. I mean, like it's just this explosion of video platforms. And to your point, there's no good way to buy across those th- different things, which makes the marketer's job and the you know the media agency's job that much more complicated.
1: That's right. So anyway, but and then is it going to come through the hardware, right? I.e., the TV, right. the box, or the content provider, i.e., YouTube, Amazon, etc. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. It's who knows. A, it's a complicated
0: Both. landscape, <laughs> yeah, and it's evolving. It feels like you know, there's a fragmentation that's growing exponentially without the management capability behind it. You know, like not management from a people standpoint, but no technology platforms are keeping up to stitch all that stuff. That's together.
1: right. Yeah, that has to be part of the CMO acumen these days. I mean, I, I feel fortunate that I'm more of a generalist, and by background, I think, but so much of what I do is trying to plug together the technology. Mm-hmm stack, to your point, which, you know, even internally is fragmented, right. but how do you get on a common framework to make sure that you're fast and distributed? So we often right. talk about speed and personalization at scale. Yeah. I mean, those are the two things we hammer home as a team, but you got to fundamentally build those capabilities. Right, right. Yeah. Well, congrats on that. <laughs> <laughs> or at least we're down, that,
0: <laughs> down that path, I should say. So let's talk a little bit about the change you're trying to drive at Lending Tree. You know, you talked a little bit about customer experience and what you're trying to do there across different moments of people's lives when we last talked. But then you've also mentioned a couple of times brand and, and purpose. And,
1: and yeah. What you're trying to do there. I think what we're trying to do is, is three, if not four things. I mean, number one is I just mentioned it. So this is all around customer centricity and the people we serve. So you have to get the technology stack right. for With all those changes I just mentioned, there's really... I've said this for 10 years, but it's more meaningful today. I mean, the, the way you win on the commercial web and, and now certainly with mobility is... Speed, personalization at scale, and I say brand and mm-hmm. having a purpose. So, we're spending a lot of time laying the foundation for what we need to do to be good in those areas. So, CRM is the obvious mm-hmm. thing, but also how does that extend into meaningful data collection mm-hmm. where you're not, you know, we're not certainly not abusing data, but right. what do you do with that to actually infer something about our mm-hmm. customers to give them a, a great experience? So, I would just say we're, we're trying to advance the technology infrastructure stack to deliver a great experience. I, mean, I think number two is, you know, we talked a little bit about it. LendingTree is a really great brand, but we're really trying to reshape the brand's purpose mm-hmm. and share it with people. I mean, you know, in the past, it's very clear that it's known for a great loan home origination mortgage site, when in fact, we have so much more to offer. And you know, the world of money and finance is just complex. So, you know, we believe there's, there's 30 plus what we call meaningful moments mm-hmm. in terms of decisions people have to make with finances throughout their life. So our purpose is really around simplifying financial decisions through meaningful moments with choice, education, and support. And those are the mm-hmm. platforms we want to come to market with. So everything we do needs to be centered around that purpose. And our position is as a comparison shopping site that, Offers connectivity and choice, so with that comes a lot of changes. Both yeah. those things on the product and what we say. So, uh, without giving too much away, you know we have a brand that's very recognized from a aided awareness perspective, mm-hmm. but it's really it's got fairly low unaided awareness. And even if you do know who we are, we go back to the conversation we started right. with. You know us for home, right. right? So we want to help people. At the point in which they need us in those complex financial decisions or meaningful moments. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, lastly, that that drives to innovation. I think if you're getting those two Mm -hmm. things right, you can drive innovation in the product that can help truly give choice. You know, a lot of financial services and and how we're connecting today is is truly still a bit Mm form-based and passing the exchange of information to our lender community and our borrower it's you know, kind of through technology or distributive APIs and the lender has to contact them. Well, we should probably, and we're working on this from an advancement perspective, how do we get the rate?
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
1: And the product offered quickly and let the borrower actually select a scheduled time or chat with Mm -hmm. an advisor right away. That's just one example, but there are many things we're we're Mm -hmm. doing along that journey. And then, you know, lastly, I think I really do believe this is our job. You know, you can be so good at the technical components of of your job. Right at the end of the day, you know, why are we here? We're here to serve. So, you know, how do we do that with some, a bit of inspiration, make it a great place to work, make it a place where our lenders and providers want to work with us, serve the communities in which we exist, Charlotte, North Carolina, even the broader U.S. And so, you know, there's a lot of inspirational elements we're trying to do around that brand purpose that I think is fitting for who we are as leaders. Interesting. Well, so we've talked about so many different, like from
0: technology to brand to Across many different industries. How, you know,
1: personally, how do you stay relevant and current as a CMO? You'll probably laugh at these things. So number one, I'm I'm actually, I love Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm an infrequent poster, but the reason I love Twitter is it's immediacy, right? I mean, you just get news and trends rather immediate, and then you can go dive deeper right. i mean number two i you know i skim the wall street journal daily mm-hmm. and read it a little more frequently on the weekend i also i read occasionally i'm five years late to the party but i'm finally reading <laughs> walter isaacson's steve jobs book okay. and, and it's a fascinating read but the two things you'll, you'll probably laugh at i watch my kids so i have an eight seven and five-year-old and i'm fascinated at how they learn and how they absorb media so obviously gaming is one element but you know that's becoming more interactive and connected it's remarkable how much YouTube is a part of their daily lives. I'm going to share a funny story really quickly. My eight-year-old who was graduating, I think, from kindergarten. I told this story even two or three years ago. <laughs> and there was only 20 in the class. Yeah. And you go through this kind of elaborate, elaborate graduation from kindergarten, but they all walk across the stage and they have to showcase who they want to be when they grow up. Well, you had, of course, the doctor, you had sort of a business person, you had a professional athlete or so. But there was a couple people, a couple of the kids that walked by and they had, you know, maybe one framed out like a screen around them. And <laughs> and I look over at my wife and I said, I'm not sure what that is. Then the next person maybe had a phone around them. And and then the third one actually did it, and it was something similar. And they finally wrote on it YouTuber. And four <laughs> out of the 20 kids said they want to be YouTubers. I wow. mean, think about that. That blew my mind that at that age, five or six, right. they're already thinking about their own empowerment and their individual creativity yeah. that they could actually make a living or that's who they could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now there's some downside effects to that that I worried <laughs> about, but right. it was just interesting. But I also look at how they, when they want to learn something, they look for a video tutorial and they're asking that question within exactly. YouTube. So that's kind of the way, that's how I stay relevant. I get, you know, last I just had, I mean, you know, it's, it's so interesting because I think you're asking the question because there's just so much disruption and movement today and movements can happen really quickly, you know, whether it's Arab Spring, Me Too. Right. And frankly, I think it's fair to say even Trump was a movement to some degree. So, but that's how I try to stay fleet of foot. No, that's good. Kids usually, I think it's probably primarily the answer.
0: (laughs) That's good. Well, you know, I've learned as I go through these interviews with lots of CMOs that it's never... uh, all on you. There's always people behind 100%. you, right? Trying to help you win. 100%. And so, and I know the team and people and culture at Lending Tree is important to you. How are you approaching that? How are you building your team, people, the culture, and any specific approaches that you're taking would be
1: interesting. Yeah. It took me a while to develop this, but but I think a, an internal mantra or my leadership purpose, if you will, was sort of framed around, you know, these four ideals. And it took a lot of kind of rumbling with this to figure out, you know, what's the essence of what I try to create? And I won't go in great depth, but I try to create environments around create. Mm -hmm. What I say is create, compete, coach, and connect. And Mm -hmm. those are things that I just, I find moving, endearing, and also I think that can have the lasting impact you're trying to create in a culture. So that's the first piece in it. But I think, you know, even if you have that right, the biggest difference I've always found between success and failure and you mentioned is, is the people. And man, I've been super, super fortunate to have great leaders surround me, whether above or even with me. I mentioned Chris Terrell earlier, the guy took yeah, just, I mean, what a, an amazing mentor. He took tremendous interest in grooming me and mm-hmm. I, I could never repay him for, for what he did. You know, there's other great leaders I've learned from Amon Bhutani, et cetera, at Expedia. But you know, as I, I like to name names. I've got to, because these people had a lot for what we've done certainly now and, and in the past, but Cornell McGee, Josh Francia, Nas Nichols, Bill Chase, you know, I'm going to leave people out, but those are the right next level leaders mm-hmm. that help shape the culture. And I think ultimately what I look for in that next level leader to drive that vision is really commitment and what I call athleticism. So they can mm-hmm. do a lot of different things, but generally the separator I see at all levels is it's, it's a simple thing, but are you committed? And In fact, I mentioned Iman, one of the things I learned from him, you know, I'd see people, including myself, I'd say, hey, Iman, you know, thank you for your time. I know your time is scarce. And he'd always respond. He'd say, it's not scarce. These are important what do you want to talk about? So, in other mm-hmm. words, he just always made time. Right. That's hard at his level, right? Yeah, so, yeah. those are the big thing. I think that's the framework, the people behind it. And yeah, I think most important too, there's a lot of what you can say, and I try to live up to this too, each day, you got to show people you're doing the work as well. Mm-hmm. So, I try to take a step back and somewhat frequently and just do the inventory about demonstrating the values I want to exude and also helping people get stuff done. So that's how I approach it. Interesting. Would you mind just
0: elaborating a little bit more on the create, compete, coach, and connect? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what each one of those means, maybe.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, just a background perspective. A couple of years back, I was was trying to really, someone had asked me, I think something similar, what really moves you? And it took about four or five months, frankly, with an executive coach named Mark Youngblood. Check him out. My Inner Mastery is his new book, by the way. (laughs) I'm forever thankful for him. He helped me shape this, but yeah. So look, I like to create environments where if, I would say, if you have the vision right, if you know what you're trying to achieve, metrics, aspirational, what have you, and if you get the right people, there's no need to micromanage. Right. Now, that doesn't mean you can remove yourself from the responsibility of coaching. But So I like to let people have their own canvas and create. I, ultimately, I don't care how we get there. And in fact, it, it would remove kind of all the fun or creativity, if you will, in the job, if you're not allowed to kind of be you. And so be your authentic self and go get there. So it's really that simple. I just try to make the environment to where be your authentic self, you figure it out. And and there's other things we do programmatically, but that's the general idea. Compete, you know, that's if you got, if you have (laughs) metrics. Right. And, you know, this thing called- winning. Know the score, right, yeah. 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 So are we really driving our Mm. best self to go hit those metrics day in and day out? And if you have- fierce competitors, such as we do, and in other categories we did, then then I think you can create that environment of competitiveness. And again, there's other tactics underneath. Coaching, look, I just believe it's all our responsibility to get people to the next level. I think if you asked People. I mean, there's general programmatic things I do in terms of trying to develop our leaders. But I said this to a person yesterday, actually in LendingTree, my job is to get you where you need to be internally. If not, it's to the next place. We mm. have to be a mm. talent factory. In fact, it's the number one thing on our balanced scorecard. It's create a meaningful people yeah. and talent culture. And then connect is just about purpose. It's at the end of the day, we're here to serve. And we got to hit the general purpose of the meaningful moments, brand purpose I talked about, and meeting the end needs for our shareholders. So whether it's the people in our organization, the actual financial shareholders, our lender community, and our customers. And so there's all these kind of, I'll call them experience metrics around that, that I try to hold myself accountable to. Sometimes we miss, but at least it gives us a guidepost and a compass to making sure that we can refine ourselves and be better. Cool. Thanks for elaborating on that. Yeah, thank you. you. know, It's important for me, we're going to pivot a little bit
0: to talk more just about you. who important me to understand the person behind what we've been talking about. And I love asking this question of people, which is, has there been an experience
1: in your past that defines or makes up who you who you are today? Yes, I think a few. So number one, I'd moved around quite a bit as a kid. Mm-hmm. And yep. it's a great way to make you adaptable. And so uh, I moved even in high school as well. And so I just, I thought about the times in which, you know, I had to, Start a new, and it's a great skill to have, especially today, right? right. So much change, so so I think moving around certainly helped. I mean, you get new experiences, new people. Was that because uh, military or business family? Like business, my father was in corporate America, and okay. so we moved around, you know, three four times during kind of meaningful years. It was great. It, it actually yeah. shaped and molded who I am today. I think you know, number two, yeah, maybe less so, but in gosh, when was this? I think nineteen eighty seven. I was a young pup at the time. <laughs> But I, you know, I was like probably any, many boys at that age, I was very much into sports. Mm-hmm. I was too into sports and I had a really severe injury. And and essentially it took me, it took me out of athletics for well over a year. And in fact, I remember the doctor saying, you're never going to, you can't do physical sports again. You're going to have to do things like swimming. Wow, That was pretty devastating. But, but the reason why I bring it up is, you know, it just taught me a level of humility and perseverance. Right. Uh, I think it really rounded me out into thinking, you know, here you are in junior high. It's like, hey, this isn't everything. There's mm-hmm. got to be some other things. And it also taught me the will to rehabilitate and get back. And it took me a year and a half, but eventually we got back. And I had a sort of a dream of getting a college scholarship and achieve that in basketball. I didn't know oh, wow. staying and doing it. I yeah. transferred and decided to have fun at the University of Texas after that. <laughs> I'd say that those are the two kind of episodic things. Mm-hmm. You know, but the last I look, I mean, all the grounding goes to great parenting, really. I mean, it's my father, Wendell Wilson, my mother, Sandy Wilson. They taught me hard work. They taught me teamsmanship. I learned everything through them. I had a a great support system. I was one of the the lucky few, right? So mom, dad, I can't thank you enough. (laughs) Yeah, sincerely. I mean, when you you can look at people and and the modeled behavior, I think it becomes a lot easier and truly one of the lucky ones. That's great. It's a great story. What fuels you? What drives you to get up and do this job or do a job every day? Yeah, I think simply just leaving an impact. And there's the aspect of how do you improve and be the best version of yourself each day? And you're always going to fall, have a slip or slide down, if you will. (laughs) If you can get those incremental improvements every day, boy, how great can you be? You know, so there's that just, there's personal things inside of, you know, the constructs I explained earlier. But, you know, leaving an impact, one, with people, and two, maybe the thing you're molding or building, i.e. the product or the experience. Mm. I put a lot on the people side. I like to... Mm. Mm-hmm. boy, it'd be great, you know, if you look 15, 20 years back and, you know, that person says you really made an impact and right. taught me a, a way to look at things and change. And that means a lot to me. And I've, partly because again, I, I go back to, I had great parents, great mentors, great teachers, I had great people I've been fortunate enough to surround ourselves with. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think when you're, you know, approaching your deathbed, it's, you want to say, hey, right. we did that or I did that. And, and yeah. so for me, it's particularly now, we want to create a, just a tremendous experience and ultimately one that could potentially shape, shape the landscape by which people consume homes or, or their next thing or dream with, you know, borrowing money or getting some type of personal advisement and financial services. So impact.
0: Okay. I like that. I mean, I, you obviously have more good days than bad days, but I, I, curious and partly because I think in marketing as a CMO there's a lot of things coming at you right, right. <laughs> from all different angles. And I, I'm just curious if you have like go-to advice for others on when it's not the good day. Like how do you self, you know, is there self-talk that you go through in your head? You, you go to a, a song or
1: like, what is it that you try to do to work through that? <laughs> that's a, that's a fantastic question. Well, number one, hopefully most people are lucky like me yeah. to have a tremendous Support system. My wife's amazing. My parents' family I mentioned. So I mean, I, I get a lot of relief. My kids give me comic relief, so that, that <laughs> helps. And, you know, and if not, I you know, I just the best advice I can give is we. I think we all struggle with this as people and humans is is sometimes you just you got to step out, just right. change the point of view, take a breath, and try to find your authentic self. And that's not easy these days. It's not easy to unplug, right? We all have device that's connected to us twenty four seven and. Gosh knows that the working day certainly isn't, you know, eight hours anymore. But, you know, the only thing I would just encourage people to be is or c- encourage people to do is find their authentic self. Step away, flip the equation, look at things differently. And I still think no matter how good or strong you are, that that mental prowess, for lack of a better phrase, you ultimately need a support system and people. I mean, that's what's gotten me through. And certainly to where I am today, it's to your point earlier, it's not me alone by any stretch. Right, right. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that. Let's step back a little bit to marketing. I
0: think marketers tend to be students of the business. And I've got two questions for you. We'll start with the first, and sure. go to the second. But is you know Are there brands or companies or causes that you follow or you're kind of like taking notice of that you think other people should?
1: That's a great question. Well, I think there's the answer, sort of what we see in our landscape, which is, I mean, obviously there's Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, right. and Google, Fang, if you will, that sort of drives a lot of change and, and disruption. But I look at, I mean, platforms has become a very mm-hmm. de jure term, so to speak. I mean, it's, I mean, we all talk about technology platforms and connectivity, and that's really disrupting big industry, travel, certainly being an obvious one. You're seeing. Commercial real estate with a brand like Cadre out of New York come up. Mm. You're seeing you know, I Home advisor is another great example, and, and home services, lending, tree and financial services. So you know, I look at platforms and certainly what's happening there, and it, it's all early days. And so I look at those things. I think in terms of media, you know, there's it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next five years. You know, I, I've mentioned YouTube a couple times, and you know, but you look at we were having a great conversation this morning over breakfast around this concept that I certainly don't understand, but certainly has to be very relevant, I'm sure you're looking at it, is you know, even things like esports and gaming. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. It's what a phenomenon, right? right? And so all of a sudden you can have these brands pop up overnight, take meaningful eyeballs and share, and it's really up to them at that point to continue to innovate and create and make sure that you can retain some fandom or audience. Right. And so, gosh, I mean, who knows where that can go? I look at like regulatory things, obviously with the Supreme Court's ruling on the PASPA event, Professional Amateur Sports uh, Act, where, you know, essentially they repealed the ban on sports gambling by states. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'll give a plug or shout like DraftKings, I mean, right. early stages right. and what a platform that could become. You know, when you think about, I think I read a stat that already today there's nearly 200 billion of gambling that's going offshore from the United States. And wow. now if that comes Bad, onshore, right? I mean, that's just what we know, right? And that's just what we, that hasn't even been encouraged, right? So, I mean, that's a massive industry. And so, I mean, that's just sort of technology type stuff, but I try to pop up and think about where the world's going, you know, geopolitical stuff too. And, you know, there's just, there's so many interesting things that the, <laughs> I don't want to get into the geopolitical yeah, stuff yeah, with right. Trump, but it's just fascinating, mm-hmm. you know, how that caricature and movement has been created and all that that means for what we do and who we become. And yeah, I mean, I think it's a fascinating world. It's not like things are, you could have a movement or thing created and it could be very irrelevant in 12 to 24 months. So building things that are sustainable and built to last is ever more critical.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I'll comment just on two things you said, because the YouTube and the esports, my 10 year old who she's into Minecraft has been like, for a couple of years now, she found her watching YouTubers play Minecraft. And it was like an hour long video. And I was like, what are you doing? I'm playing Minecraft. No, you're watching somebody else play
1: Minecraft. Isn't that amazing? I didn't even know that was a thing. That's what my son does with Madden football. It's unbelievable. (laughs) And he'll do it for, unless I kick him off, for hours. (laughs) Right, right. We have to set time limits, but yeah, it's crazy. Well, that's why they're filling arenas these days doing that. It's, It's unbelievable. Right. And it is kind of
0: fascinating. I sat down with her one time just to watch it. And I was like, One, I was getting motion sickness because they move around the board so quickly, but but you get past that and it's, it's pretty entertaining. (laughs) So, But the other thing I was going to comment on is the DraftKings, a good friend of mine used to live in this area, moved to the Isle of Man. He's a great game producer and the Isle of Man, I think he's working on um, one of the biggest slots, online slots playing in oh, poker, playing games. And so uh, maybe if we get past some of these hurdles, maybe he'll move back.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, well, they uh, just launched in New Jersey this week. Yeah. So. so Lloyd, if you're listening, maybe you can come back. Maybe you can come back. So last question for you is, where do you think the future of marketing is going to go?
1: Well, I think, you know, it's, we all say it, but it's obviously it's moving to experiences. I, mean, I think we hear that all the time. Millennials value things over experiences. And I, I think that's true really of all our demography and parts of society—I think that's largely true, anyway. So, you know, I, how do you not just sell a thing, but how does that mm-hmm. portend into who they are, what they value, and you know, something that they can be engaged with, right? So, I mean, experiences—I think is sort of a common answer. I think things will continue to get more transparent mm-hmm. marketplace. I'd say that because I'm obviously in marketplaces. Marketplaces, right. by nature, do that—they surface. Right. You know, proper pricing, I think even, you know, things like ratings and reviews Mm -hmm. are so prevalent. I think one of the things that could be part of this, I was thinking about this as a a friend of mine has an apparel business. And um, I also think about it because I bought a, I bought a t-shirt that was over $40 the other day. And I I thought to myself, forty at first it was, yeah, (laughs) it was crazy. But, and by the way, there's many up that are $100 and $200. Oh, yeah, yeah but I love the t-shirt and it fits great. And I'm actually considering buying again. And I'm, I'm sitting to myself, am I crazy? But I mentioned these two things because, oh, and, and the other thing is that they go out of stock, right? Yeah. So I was like, why isn't there dynamic pricing in these things? Mm. And there's some downside effects of doing that. But I mentioned that in the vein of transparency because I think, you know, travel does that and right. it's not necessarily the best thing for some, but you could see a world where, especially with the technology stuff we're talking about that potentially you can get some dynamism in pricing in a good way right I'm not saying you know op- yes optimize a marginal right. revenue curve but you know potentially if things are it's a hot item you want it you would pay more mm-hmm. if it's not moving as fast you could drop the price relatively quickly so I would say experiences and transparency I think is going to continue yeah. to keep moving forward and God knows I'll have to rely on my kids for the next <laughs> view of the trends <laughs> so yeah I think that's the answer good good well thanks for coming on the show Brad Alan thanks for having me this was great cool
0: marketing today is brought to you by atomic atomic focuses on unleashing the growth potential for clients we serve atomic is a strategic consultancy specializing in business marketing brand and innovation our singular goal is to help you accelerate your efforts with the right mix of expertise analysis and creativity check us out at atomic.com a-t-o-m-c-k.com hi it's alan again Marketing Today was created and produced by me with writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.